Barclay and Barton on the Premier League, brought to you in association with Pitch Publishing, the UK's leading independent sportsbook publisher. Also in association with the Sports Freelance Collective. With Walk Wag Play, a dog walking and training company in Cardiff, doing right by your dog, follow on social media at Walk Wag Play. And also, Tony Park Consulting, helping you and your business grow. Tony Park Consulting at gmail.com. This is Barkley and Barton on the Premier League. I'm Wayne Barton, football writer and author, and joined as usual by Paddy Barkley. Paddy, how are you doing? Um, very well indeed, thank you. And uh, really looking forward to this 2006 7 season. Um, it, it, I've got a theory that this was the best season for spectacular goals. Well, certainly since I started watching football. Um, and. Um, uh, it's you know I'm sure we'll talk about some of those in in detail. It was it was definitely a, a spectacular spectacular season. I mean you, you, you as a Manchester United supporter you must have been pinching yourself during Man United seven Roma one uh, <laughs> Francesco Totti being humbled. Um, but uh, it was um, well there was just so much to talk about and uh, of, of course it was the season. I mean Manchester United must uh, figure very, very strongly in our chat because they were champions again. Ferguson, arguably, the money of Abramovich and the talent of Mourinho put together uh, made Chelsea the biggest challenge that, that Ferguson had probably um, faced since he knocked uh, Liverpool off their perch. And, uh, um, well, uh, we'll let the story unfold. But uh, yeah, great season. Very much looking forward to it. You said the great goals there, and certainly since Matt Letizia mm. retired, <laughs> considering mm. ah, Letizia right. was... He was a one-man yeah. goal, goal of the week competition, wasn't he? And um, we talked on the previous episode about the goals ratio. This is the lowest mm. um, in a Premier League, well, certainly in the last sort of seven or eight years that we were looking mm. back at those goal tallies. So it's 931, which is down from 2. Point, I think it was 2.57, and we've gone down... Mm. To two point four five, but like you said, mm -hmm. the the actual ratio of quality goals in there yeah. <laughs> exponentially higher. I know. Uh, I don't think there were any deflections or tappings. <laughs> it was extraordinary. And uh, just uh, to to talk about about the quality of Manchester United, the way they came back, they you know they picked up the Chelsea gauntlet and and came back to pip Chelsea to the title. I mean, just let me give you some statistical measure. You know, we talked last. Uh, two episodes ago about Chelsea and how I sort of measure um, you know the dominance of a club and Chelsea outscored the opposition by five goals to one yeah. which was something that's only happened maybe twice or three times in the history of English football uh, at the top level but Manchester United deserve a mention here because their ratio was more than three to one and that is that is exceptional Mm. Okay, 5-1 is historic, but 3-1 to one is a very, very good ratio. 4-83 against 27 in the league. And a lot of that is down to, well, it's down to two partnerships, Rooney and Ronaldo at the front and Ferdinand and Vidic at the back. Vidic is fairly new to the club. It's, his, I think, his first full season. Yep. And that Ferdinand-Vidic um, 
combination uh, made in in my opinion this team one of the most formidable that uh, that Alex Ferguson ever built. Let's. I, I did have in, in my notes to start with Chelsea. But you've got me salivating at the mouth to talk about United, so we might as well kick off with them. Yeah. And you were mentioning yeah. um, Ferguson and his partnerships, the um, the Ronaldo Rooney partnership. Theoretically, mm. might never have been because they they had the massive fallout of the World Cup where. Um, uh, Rooney went in with this um, battered metatarsal, comes back and tries yeah. to tries to ruin Carvalho's metatarsal um, with yeah. a bit of a stamp. Um, there's the wink from Ronaldo, which obviously yeah. that's that's theatrical. Um, he played no yeah, part in yeah. Rooney getting sent off, but in the press, it looked inevitable that United were going to have to ship Ronaldo on. And I, I admit that at the time, I was thinking there is no way that you can keep both of those players. Yeah, here. I don't. I, I. I. mean, that may have looked, maybe how it looked, but uh, I came back from the World Cup absolutely certain that the two professionals, two guys uh, who know Ronaldo and 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 Rooney, obviously friends, not going to let that uh, separate them. I think it was. Uh, it was largely uh, a, a newspaper soap opera. Yeah, uh, the kind of thing that often accompanies England exits uh, from world from international tournaments. Um, so I mean, I'm not being wise after the event. I can remember saying to people, "Oh, for goodness' sake, don't worry about that." Um, they certainly won't. And um, yeah, there was there was no problem there. Um, it was obvious, and in fact, uh, the the. the the best goal of the season involved the, uh, the most fantastic, unselfish link-up between between Rooney and Ronaldo. I thought they were, it was almost as if they were trying to say, "Oh, for goodness' sake!" You know, <laughs> uh, the only thing that matters is. And the other thing that you've got to bear in mind is that Portugal and England are are very, very important, but Manchester United pay their wages, and uh, I think that's that's the, 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 they 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 rose above it all. Um, the, those two and. And behave like professionals. Um, they they were predictably the leading goal scorers. Um, Rooney got twenty three in all competitions. Although he his his unselfishness did um, did which I, in my opinion was one of the things that made him a great player was his uh, his total unselfishness. His uh, well, but almost total unselfishness. Um, but certainly by the standards of a top footballer, um, helped Ronaldo a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a, a terrific season for them. But in, in a way, looking back on it, I think people would, would consider the, the Ferdinand Village partnership at the back just as, just as important. I mean, well, how would you, Wayne, of your lifetime at, at the defensive partnerships at Manchester United, and would you, would you say that was the best? Yeah, I think so. Um, there's a, a nostalgic tendency to think about Pallister and Bruce, and I always wonder because yeah. Fergie will always go there. And, and, you know, I also do a weekly podcast with Paul Parker, and I've, I've gone on record on saying on this show that I think that the 94 side is my favourite United side. So I've, yeah. always, I've got all this nostalgia in my mind that you always think about those two players. But I think in terms of clinical brilliance, 
Um, certainly, uh, I, I would have Ferdinand as my number, the number one defender that I've ever seen play for United. So that yes. when I think about that, and I think about how good Vidic was, because I, sometimes I think that I underrate Vidic, uh, because I, I sometimes I put other players like McGraw in front of him and things like that, and, and even a Bruce or a Pallister or a Yap Stam, because I would always say Ferdinand and Stam are my first two. So. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I would say certainly you look at the records as well. Yes, we're talking about 06 or 07, but in 07 08, they win more trophies. 07 08 or 09 is the one where they break a defensive record at United, you know, where they keep mm-hmm. a load of clean sheets, and that's done with Ferdinand and, and Vidic in Axis. Um, yeah, I think for me, they, look, they weren't, um, it wasn't an AC Milan impervious. To, it wasn't Baresi and Maldini, but what it was mm. is it very close. The, both of those players were fallible, don't get me wrong. You could mm-hmm. get past Ferdinand and you could get past Vidic, but I think probably not so much this season because they were learning together, but certainly in the seasons that followed, they became this... They compensated for each other's weaknesses in a way that... Um, I t- it's not really something that... Bears comparison directly, but in the '77 team with Buchan and Greenoff, um, mm. I would say Buchan compensated for Greenoff, and I think Ferdinand and Vidic compensated for each other um, and knew each yeah. other's strengths and weaknesses. I'm glad you mentioned Martin Buchan. I I saw quite a bit of him. I saw a bit of him at Aberdeen and uh, uh, before, but uh, before United. And I think, I'm glad that history is uh, looking. Um, is is giving him his proper place among defenders who mm. played for Manchester United. I think uh, that he's very close to Ferdinand as the, and 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 McGrath's the best that I've seen play in for Manchester United. And the great thing about the the lovely thing about Buchan and Greenoff is that they, sorry to I'm I'm going back here, but it's just something I like to say that they they as much as anything else I think. Um, summarised the uh, almost total football of the Doherty era. Yeah, yeah. No. Uh, but yeah, back to back to the present, which of course is two thousand and six seven. Uh, another uh, interesting development was 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 the was the use of Park and Fletcher in in big games, um, both of whom uh, helped to to make the team as a whole stronger defensively. Both very diligent players. Um, uh, and and Scholes had a magnificent season. Giggs had a great season as yeah. well. Uh, he was in the Football Writers Team of the Year. And go through the rest if you want. Yeah. Um, uh, David James of Portsmouth was the goalkeeper. Michael Essien of Chelsea was chosen at right back, though he played in midfield <laughs> for most of the season. But he was chosen at right back because of the the riches in midfield. Vidic and Carvalho. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, of Chelsea, Carragher of Liverpool, or uh, was 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 chosen as left back. Um, Ronaldo, Scholes, Gerrard, and Ryan Giggs were the midfield, which you know uh, d- definitely reflects United's superb season. Drogba of Chelsea and Rooney of Manchester United up front. It's not bad. Wouldn't disagree with too much of that. Yeah. Um, that was the team, but. Uh, Yes, and the other point is that although United with 89 points, 83 goals, you know, really good stats there, six points they ended up ahead of Chelsea, yeah. who only lost three games in the season. Yeah. Extraordinary. 
Extraordinary. Um, and United finished six points ahead of them. Um, but Chelsea themselves were 15 points ahead of the third place club, which was Liverpool. Yeah. So, and part of, the, part of what this reflects is that Liverpool didn't have the financial clout of, obviously, not Chelsea. No one had the financial clout of Chelsea, not even Manchester United. Um, but United had kept their, um, their, their wealth by continually enlarging the stadium. I mean, to give you an example, um, this is Arsenal's first season in the Emirates Stadium, capacity 60,000. And Manchester United, the previous season, were 68, so capacity. So you're thinking, well, you know, Arsenal are really, except that Manchester United extended their stadium. And uh, in this season, 2006-07, we're already pulling in the capacity um, of 76,000 on average. You know, so, I, I mean, United still had that clout um, in, in the market, even despite the Glazer um, takeover, which was, you know, created by match day and, um, and general revenue. So, um, yeah, United have had to that extent the sheer scale that, that Ferguson had built um, was keeping United competitive with, with just about everybody. So, um, yeah, it was looking looking really, really good. And it's funny to and you think of Manchester United champions under Ferguson, you think, well, that happened a lot. But I remember when Chelsea were given a guard of honour by United at the end of Mourinho's first title-winning season. And Alex Ferguson was, was limping. And he looked like an old man for the first time. And I thought, yep, this young man's going to see him off. And here we are, 2006, six, seven, uh, anything but Manchester United champions. Ferguson, I shouldn't think he's limping anymore. He probably had an operation on, I don't know what it was, a knee or something. And um, yeah, totally rejuvenated, not for the first time, um, by his own efforts. Yeah, he was in charge. This was um, Mark twenty years in charge um, at United, and I felt that this um, maybe not United's best Champions um, Championship winning side, but what I, I felt was it was one of Ferguson's best ever moments as a manager it because um, what he had to deal with. Um, you mentioned Chelsea earlier on, and, and mm-hmm. a, they were such a formidable opponent because of the wealth and the strength that they had, and, and the fact that they had a manager who, um, more than Mourinho, uh, more than Wenger. Mm-hmm. Wenger played to win. Mourinho, as we said in an earlier episode, just hated to lose. So, mm-hmm. and that was a dis- that that was a, a, a trait he shared with Ferguson um, at this point, yeah. and I think. Um, in a large part because of Mourinho, that really focused the way that Ferguson changed the way that he managed for the sort of like last seven or eight years of his um, time as manager because you noticed a consistent change in United. They started playing, they, they could win 1-0, not with quite the degree of comfort as those early Chelsea sides under Mourinho, but certainly mm. they they learned how to professionally eke out a job a, a lot better than what they had done in the past. And what I felt, how that reflected in sort of Ferguson's development. And I'd love to hear your idea on this, because I know we've talked about this off-air and we've flirted around this subject a few times on other shows. Mm -hmm. I felt 
what um, Sir Alex did in this season was he knew Chelsea man for man they were better than United. Um, they were they were too good, and it, as we'll talk about Chelsea in a moment, they could just add another world star, and and then you you find the same problem again. Fergie looked at that and he said, "Well, I'm not going to fight Chelsea. I'm going to look at the rest of the league." And mm-hmm. they had evolved to the point where they could now say, "Yeah, we can rack up points against those other 18 teams in the league." And mm-hmm. Chelsea's record starts where they were. I mean, we talked about the previous season and letting a goal for the first seven or eight games, and they won all those games quite comfortably. Ferguson was now looking at that and saying, "Well, you need a fast start as well." He always used to say beforehand, didn't he? And I, you know, it was mischievous. You know, it was mind games. But he would always say, "We're better after Christmas," mm-hmm. because he'd be putting the seeded out into opponents' heads. That's right. But now he changed that, and he started saying, "Well, we need to strong. Uh, we need to start strongly." And I honestly, I believe that it was Chelsea's capability of being able to accumulate so many points and being so much better than the other sides that made Fergie think, "Do you know what?" We, we, I don't think we can match that in the short term. But the best thing we can do is hope for accumulating as many points in the other games. That's what. That's exactly. Uh, that is exactly what happened. If you look at, I mean, that's statistically provable. Uh, in the season, although Chelsea uh, lost three or lost only three, and United lost five. Um, Manchester United won 28 and Chelsea won only 24. So that is what won the title. Yeah. Winning games against, well, whoever whoever wasn't Chelsea. I mean, they, uh, the results against, I mean, Chelsea did get a good result at Old, I won all draw earlier in the, se- early in the season at Old Trafford. I think Carvalho scored and Luis Saha for United. Um, I can't remember. I think it was a nil-nil, wasn't it? Down at the the title was already won at that point, yeah. And I think that's the that's idea: right. was accumu- accumulate as many so points in- before that game. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Because you don't want what had happened uh, the year in, in in either the year before or the year before mm. that when Chelsea basically they tied up the title with that three-nil uh, win that was rounded off by another Carvalho goal against United. A beauty. Um, that, and that, um, you know, that Ferguson did, wanted to avoid that. So it was a really well planned. Uh, I'm, sh- I'm certain that he did exactly as you said. Um, and, 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 you know, basically he didn't want it to come down to uh, the points won or lost against Chelsea. And, and, and that's 28 wins is, uh, is, is, is what won them the, the league. And yeah. Didn't beat Chelsea. Um, very interesting thing though, because I mean, as we do, we talked about one of the Arsenal seasons before, I think it was two thousand three, where yeah. you automatically presume because someone wins a title that the other side is weaker. Uh, Chelsea mm. obviously have a very strong season, but there is probably the first chink in the armour here um, in, in yeah. the way that things are going to go. And again, another another of my theories to put to you is that I mentioned at the end of the last episode that you know it was the man responsible for their success who would be responsible for the downfall and people might listen to that and think oh you're referring to a Mourinho meltdown but I actually felt that this summer was the um, the first time where Abramovich put his fingers in too far I think United's transfer uh, Chelsea's transfer 
the names are uh, astonishing, aren't they? Ashley Cole finally comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mikel's another <laughs> highly controversial, but another coup from under United's nose. Ma- Michael Ballack was heavily covered yeah. by United, and he was um, taken to Stamford Bridge on a free transfer. But um, and then you've got Andrei Shevchenko. Ironically, as well, I would say that the le- the lowest profile of all of those signings, which was Solomon Kalou, ended up probably being mm-hmm. as, as successful as. As yeah, probably Ashley Cole. Yes, but yes, he did very well. Um, but yes, um, it, the you, you mentioned Shevchenko, and that was uh, that was bad for the relationship between. Yeah. Um, because that it was clearly a Balak as well, but 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 Balak was a was a was a good player. Shevchenko, of course, a, had been a, a very. Uh, sorry, Balak is a great player. Shevchenko had been a great player, but his legs had gone. I don't mean they'd gone completely. I don't mean he couldn't have played for Fulham or Aston Villa very effectively. But he was the explosiveness uh, in his legs that had made him the most feared striker in Europe had gone. And, uh, you know, obviously Abramovich, you know, wouldn't know know that, wouldn't be able to tell. Um, But word would have reached Mourinho. And despite that, Shevchenko was signed. He was a friend of uh, of Abramovich's, and of course, uh, you know, a hero to to every Russian. So um, that was that was really bad news because you know, had uh, uh, Mourinho had to pick a team to win a, to win games because that's what his career was based on, and he was having to put Shevchenko in when he probably wasn't worth. Um, a place in the team. Also, uh, there was. It, it just was. It 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 drove a wedge. The first it was the first problem in in the relationships at Chelsea. And you know, Mourinho, he, he can't. He's. I mean, Ferguson was quite good at uh, at uh, concentrating on the team and uh, compartmentalizing. Mourinho can't, you know. Mourinho has to play the part of Jose Mourinho all the time, and uh, it, 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 along with other things, ate away at him. Also, the increasing part, um, relationship between John Terry, who, after all, Mourinho had very much um, uh, promoted and relied upon from the minute he walked through the door. The increasing relationship between Terry and the owner Abramovich, uh, I think, sort of. People for the first time, you know, began to wonder. I mean, to say Mourinho had lost the dressing room would be ridiculously too much. But at, uh, people were no longer looking at at him as a as a sort of golden ticket, as a Midas, uh, someone who who you know had total power. Yeah. Uh, and it was became increasingly obvious that he didn't. And. Uh, yeah, as you say, Chelsea had a good season. There's no, they they won the FA Cup. Um, uh, was it the FA Cup they won, or was it the Carling Cup? I can't. They remember. won both of them. I wanted to talk about they the won F- them both. Yeah, yeah, they won them both. They beat Arsenal. And, uh, beat Arsenal at the Millennium Stadium in the Carling Cup, and of course Wembley was ready for the FA Cup. Where yeah. they beat beat United, didn't they? With the, on that very, very slow pitch. Do you remember the pitch at Wembley when they opened it? It was so slow, painfully slow. Um, but uh, 
yeah, they, it wasn't a great game, but uh, uh, I think uh, Drogba, Drogba won it, uh, where United were possibly marginally a better side. But uh, it was um, it was a good season for Chelsea. But uh, looking back on it, the, the seeds of of uh, of the breakdown of relationships between the manager and and uh, and and the rest um, were were being sown. I mean, you look at. Chelsea, just to finish on Chelsea's league form, you mentioned they only lost three, but they lost two of the first 11. And then mm. lo- one loss in their last 27 games, and they don't win the title. Mm. Um, but yes. obviously, too many draws in that. Um, yes. I think the last five games were all draws, something yeah. like that. The, the, uh, dif- the difference of a player like Good Johnson who was, ironically, the one shifted out for Shevchenko. You know, a good Johnson probably makes a difference yeah, in those games. Absolutely, good Johnson was a fantastic player for Chelsea. Very under underrated. I mean, highly rated, but still underrated. Um, he's now at Barcelona, playing against. He scored a goal against Chelsea in the Champions League, um, and uh, to no one's great surprise. So, um, yeah, that was that was quite a blunder. You know, um, it was quite a blunder swapping Good Johnson for Shevchenko. They, um, a little moment on European football. Um, she mentioned, I want to, I want to have a little bit of an indulgence in United mm. against Roma, only because yeah. um, you mentioned it earlier on, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm saying, oh, it wasn't United's best winning side, and Chelsea mm. were brilliant, but there were moments of brilliance from United. And you mentioned the combination between Ronaldo and Rooney, and against mm. Roma, I mean, talk about getting excited. I, I remember mm. watching that, and it was um, an unusual formation that um, Fergie played. He played a four-two-three-one, which we'd never seen before. No, and it had Fletcher no. playing deep. It had Giggs um, and Alan Smith. Alan Smith was the um, he was the, uh, the the number one at the top, and mm. behind him there was the three of Ronaldo from the right. Rooney in the middle mm-hmm. and Ryan Giggs on the left. And even Ryan Giggs, who, who's now 34, 33, 34, looks like he's 10 years younger because of Ronaldo and Rooney around him. And I remember thinking, this, the, it had, when you see a team win 7-1 in that kind of fashion, where all the goals are magnificent, you can't help but get carried away thinking, this might be Ferguson's best ever side. Yeah, it, it looked it at that time. It was an, an unforgettable. At one stage, three goals were scored in seven minutes. Mm. In fact, the first three were scored in seven in the space of seven minutes. I remember Carrick, uh, uh, an, uh, an extraordinary uh, strike of the ball. Actually, a sort of hoik yeah. with his right foot, um, and and the keepers never seen anything like this, and just stand still. Um, the second goal was uh, was Smith. Uh, a, a wonderful team goal that it was probably my, my favourite of the whole night. Um, Rooney with a oh such an arrogantly clever side foot, um, and it's three nil. And for, from then on, it's party time. Ronaldo got a two, did he? I, yeah, he yeah. got two. Ronaldo Carrick just for a bit of a change tries a left footer, which goes screaming across the keeper into the top corner. Um, uh, arguably the best goal of the night then comes from Daniele De Rossi. Yeah. Do you remember that one? The one where he sort of he, he volleyed it from it, it was a poor pass by I think Totti. It kept went behind him, but he turned, he sort of swiveled and volleyed it, and it just 
never never rose as it went all the way as it went past the van der Sar. It was a brilliant goal. Yeah. I remember the technique was outstanding. Uh, the technique was outstanding. I mean, even Paddy Crerand uh, on <laughs> MUTV <laughs> said it was. He, he was got excited about it. I've never known him get excited uh, about a goal against United before. because uh, he was sixty United already. He could probably afford to. I, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think he was able to be generous for once. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now it was. Uh, and then uh, Patrice Sevra, uh, who shared the left back position with uh, Gabriel Gabriel Heinze in the in the season, um, uh, rounded it off. I think it was a wonderful a wonderful performance because it was so rich and entertaining. I think the the the, the, the sort of uh, the cluster of early goals, you know, allowed United to turn on the swagger a bit. And it was certainly the game that you would associate with Michael Carrick. Uh, it was one where you thought, "Oh, this is a United player." Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. But the United gets the semis um, probably a bit before their time, I think. Um, but they play against the Milan team, who absolutely school them, and then they get, they get back to the mm. final to play Liverpool mm. in a repeat of mm. the um, the final from two years previous. Five, yeah, yeah. That, Milan's chance to atone for squandering the two thousand and five final. In fact, there were three English clubs in the. In the semis, three out of the last four in in Europe, you know, as a sort of demonstration of of English strength. Yep. Um, we've we've talked about the growing power of the Premier League to attract the very best players, not just sexy players in the sunset of their careers, um, and uh, the, which which had been the case maybe seven or eight, ten years earlier, and now the very best were coming, um, but Milan still had too much for the for the trio of English clubs. The other, um, the other semi-final, apart from Milan against United, was uh, Chelsea against Liverpool again. Um, not quite as good as the one a few years, couple of years earlier, um, but still pretty good. Ended on penalties and Pepe Reina being mobbed and um, was the hero. So uh, uh, the, the, both of the games ended one nil for the home side. Um, so that was that was it. Uh, Liverpool, incidentally, had beaten Barca, Barcelona in the uh, in the uh, quarterfinals. But uh, yes, um, the final was uh, dominated by Pippo Inzaghi, who got two goals for. Um, for, uh, for for Milan and and they deserved it. Um, it was played in Athens. It was in another of those dreadful Olympic so-called Olympic stadiums, and um, uh, Milan were the better side, and Inzaghi Inzaghi decided it. Um, and it was I remember the the, the final. It was um, what made it so lovely was that you you mentioned Paolo Maldini earlier. One of one of the greatest players, I mean, if if you were to put an all-time great team, yeah, uh, he'd certainly fit in somewhere along the back four uh, in everybody's team. Uh, anybody who didn't pick Maldini in his all-time uh, team would uh, leave themselves open to ridicule. And uh, Maldini, at, I think he was thirty-seven, thirty-eight, and for him to lift the the cup at at that age was just fantastic and. I think even you know, Liverpool fans wouldn't wouldn't have grudged him that too much. Yeah, no, absolutely, and um, I would say as well, 
without wanting to do Milan too much of a disservice, I did yeah, feel like yeah. that. But they possibly got a little bit lucky with United, uh, with not United, with English team teams squabbling over each other because I don't think that Milan were as good as they were two years earlier. And I, 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 I probably not the well, not I mean, look, I don't think they they were the best side in Europe, but the the result speaks for itself, doesn't it? You know, yeah. uh, they win the yeah. trophy. Yeah. The the funny thing is that Inzaghi, we're talking about the Shevchenko. Um, you know, Inzaghi was occupying the position that uh, that you yeah. know that uh, that Shevchenko had done two years earlier. And, sh- and and so Milan obviously knew that uh, it was time to ship ship him out, um, and um, uh, but the, uh, the probably I, I don't know how I think he played particularly well against United in the semi. Kaká was yeah, certainly yeah. still at his at his best there. Wonderful Brazilian. So was Andrea Pirlo, um, Clan Sadoff. You know there there was a, a that a, and of course Maldini. So it was a it was a very very good side still, but but I agree with you. Not quite as good as that team that had Shevchenko in it, uh, as well as you know Kaká and Pirlo um, two years earlier. Um, England's top five is the same, and it's going to start leaving itself open yeah. to criticism because you've got United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal with a top four, and everyone's saying oh, it's going to be a monopoly there. Um, Spurs again in fifth, but yeah, Martin Yall still doing very well actually. Uh, at Spurs, and and in fact they uh, uh, they not only finished fifth, but they they had um, you know a good season in the in three cups. I mean, so much so that in all competitions during this season, Tottenham Hotspur under Martin Yaw scored one hundred and four goals. Really, I didn't uh, have yeah. any idea that they got about. got to the quarterfinals of the FA and UEFA Cups, and the semis of the Carling Cup. And uh, so consequently, if you look at all competition figures, Berbatov and Keane were the obvious stars of the team. The front two, that's Robbie Keane, obviously. Berbatov got 23 in all competitions. Keane, who took some pens, got uh, 22 in all competitions. And Germain Defoe, who really came into his own in, in the Cups, because uh, he wasn't an automatic choice, but couldn't be an automatic choice with Berbatov and Keane there, Including he took some pens as well, and he ended up with eighteen in all competitions, even though he was almost a fringe player. Uh, also, a very good season for Aaron Lennon, yeah. um, who got the winner as they broke against Chelsea, uh, reigning champions Chelsea, as as Spurs ended a sixteen-year hoodoo. Um, they just could never beat, uh, seem to beat. Uh, Chelsea for years and years and years and years, even before the Abramovich era. Well, Aaron Lennon's goal uh, broke that sequence. Um, so Tottenham, yeah, another good season for them. Uh, as as those who heard our um, our talk last uh, our last episode, you know, they had this unfortunate uh, digestive problem that <laughs> cost cost them Champions League plays. Yeah, better days to come for for Spurs as well. Um, they really are. Yeah. After some some years of sort of mulling around that mid table, upper mid table kind yeah. of area, they they're about to become a real force. But Paddy, the story of the season isn't Manchester United, it isn't Chelsea, mm-hmm. it isn't Liverpool. Mm-hmm. It's right at the other end of the table, and we normally 
close with the relegation story, but how can you close with a story like this? This is like, right, we should have started with this one. Um, well, <laughs> Sheffield United and, uh, and West Ham, yeah. Uh, go, through it, go through the facts of it. So um, the start of the season, um, out of nowhere, there's, and West Ham is subject to a takeover with Magnussen, right? I think that's what started it all off, and Magnussen's looking yes. to um, make a the name for himself um, in... No, I don't even know if that's... It might have been Magnussen came in after this, but there was talk about they were going to get taken over, and mm. they wanted to sort of take the next step. Uh, they've got Alan Pardew in charge at this time, um, they, they're looking at building to move forward after some promising years back in the top flight they got to an FA Cup final um, mm. and <laughs> nothing prepares you for what happens on deadline day when out of the blue Kia Jurabchin, um, this guy who operates third party licensed football as it seems that he's yeah, a football yeah. club in his own entity um, yeah. licenses um, Javier Macerano um, who is a, a magnificent old in midfielder who's going to mm. later become a, a magnificent central defender as well and Carlos Tevez one of the most highly rated so- South American strikers um, yep. and, and both of them are going to join West Ham <laughs> and, and not only are they, are they going to do it within 24 hours they're pictured with West Ham shirts looking as bemused as the rest of us <laughs> <laughs> what a story yep. Paddy what a story that was yep. Uh, it certainly was. It was uh, in its way. Um, it was as sort of stunning as the arrivals of Ardiles and Villa after mm. the uh, after the World Cup in 1978 at Tottenham, but uh, not. It, it wasn't celebrated in the same spirit. Um, in that, you know, the, this was third party ownership. This was crude uh, business tactics being. Um, employed, um, it, you know, these transfers, which basically mean that the original clubs of South American players um, don't get, ever really get the full value of the players that they've unselfishly trained up to the top, uh, top standard. It's, a, it's an un, unpleasant practice, and, and here we're uh, West Ham, um, taking advantage of a very funny West Ham season, by the way, one in which they changed managers in midstream, it, 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 with Alan Kerbishley coming in for Alan Pardew, uh, who Alan Pardew then went to Kerbishley's old club, Charlton. Um, and, and, and West Ham's results were, were all over the place. Um, I mean, if you if you look at the, they beat Man United uh, in Kerbishley's first game in manager in, in, as manager in in mid season, uh, but they also lost six nil, and it it could have been more uh, to newly promoted Reading, yeah. who have a great season by the way under uh, Steve Koppel, um, a, a tremendous season, finished eighth yeah. um, with. Uh, Kevin Doyle and Leroy Lita up front. So, yeah, but I'm 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 straying away uh, as a, as a sort of do from the, the the point of it, which is is uh, West Ham and their um, well their breach of uh, of of the Premier League and the FA's rules. What what amused me about this was for a long time, even though they brought them both in, Mascherano did not fit at West Ham whatsoever. 
Um, I don't even think they played him very often. And Tevez, when he played at the start, was coming on from the bench because it was like, well, what we don't know quite how to use him. Obviously, that came to Pardew's downfall. You mentioned the the win against Manchester United. There was also a very crucial win against Sheffield United in a run, but in the sort of 12 or 13 games before that, yes, they'd won three games, but all of the other games are lost and they lose. I'm looking at the figures now. There's 10 games in a row... Um, ten, 10 losses in a row yes there's, there's 3 wins in this run of it's basically 13 games 10 losses mm-hmm. three, 3 wins all those losses they don't score a goal mm-hmm. they, they are yep. toothless up front um, and this is point of um, the, the overriding argument which is used against them later in the season and then you mentioned the West Ham um, uh, the West Ham Reading game because at that point um, that's the start of the new year it's deemed that Mascherano's no longer going to fit there and he moves to Liverpool. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and West Ham are left with Tevez and they are shipping goals everywhere. They, um, yes. It's four, four at Charlton. Charlton absolutely pummeled them. And Charlton, uh, we'll talk about them, but they, they're going in the wrong direction. Um, a very, four at Bolton. Yeah. Four at Bolton as well. And a very eventful game they play against Spurs, uh, which they yeah, do lose. That as well. But it's the start of something different, isn't it? Because it is. um, Carlos Tevez um, finally makes a name for himself. Yep, he scores during that game, uh, which uh, West Ham lost uh, 4-3. Uh, but he then goes on to score a penalty as they beat Blackburn in the next game. And there's a bit of a bandwagon effect happening here because they then go on to beat Middlesbrough with, again, uh, Tevez scoring. Uh, along with his fellow South American Zamora. No, no I'm only kidding, he's English. <laughs> um, but um, uh, Z- Zamora then scores in the next game, which is a victory over Arsenal. And they then go and lose 3 0 at Sheffield United. But in the next game, home to Chelsea, and, and again they lose, but Tevez scores again. He then returns to the score sheet. For the final two games, it's home to Bolton, and bear in mind West Ham are acutely threatened here. At home to Bolton, and Tevez scores two. The final game <laughs> is away to Manchester United, and you will know what happened there in the 45th minute. Tevez only goes and scores again. So he's got, he's got one, two, three... Four, five, six, seven goals in the league for West Ham, and they've all come in the last ten matches. Yeah, and West Ham finished fifteen and are safe. So by fielding, I, I, in my opinion, it was a disgraceful, one of the worst episodes in the Premier League's history. Their own rules were were broken, and yet the goals of the player for whom they broke the rules kept West Ham up. Uh, Sheffield United, who went down, were rightly absolutely furious. And although they won compensation, they were later to win compensation of, I think, 20 million. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it was it was no compensation, and the, and and Sheffield United spent a period in the doldrums. Now they may have been 
relegated either that season or another season anyway. But it left a very nasty taste in the mouth and it, it took a long time really, I think, for the Premier League's reputation to be fully repaired in the, in the eyes of, well, people who feel, felt like me. I think it was a terrible, terrible, terrible episode. Yeah, no, it absolutely was. Um, Sheffield United were complaining about this for weeks, um, even mm-hmm. before, be, well, whilst Tevez was on his spree, uh, Sheffield United mm-hmm. were the biggest complainants about it. Um, Neil Warnock, <laughs> who's their manager, you might expect that he was having a word or two to say about it. Um, yeah. But the Blades, they don't drop into the relegation season more than once in the second half of the campaign. And they come into the last game of the season. And yes, West Ham are the massive protagonists mm-hmm. in this because they win at Old Trafford. It's such a landmark victory and the way in which it's achieved with Tevez, there's this air of theatre and inevitability about it. But you look at the result in a cold and clinical perspective at Bramall Lane yeah. on the last day of the yeah. season. Sheffield United are masters of their own destiny. Uh, against Wigan mm-hmm. Athletic um, and Wigan win at Bramall Lane to to stay up mm-hmm. and, and effectively condemn Sheffield United to the, the drop. Um, do you think that they overplayed that or do you think that they had every right? No? No, I don't. I don't. You see, I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why. I think that, you know, when, as we're getting towards the end of the season and people give the relegation the last eight matches or last ten matches and they give the fixtures and you go, yeah, well, the, you should beat them. You, you, oh, God, and away to Anfield. Uh, you know, blah, 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 definitely nothing there. It's rubbish. And this season proved it because Wigan at home in a six-pointer, in, in a, in a winner-takes-all match, is much harder match than away to Manchester United because United had won the league. Yeah, yeah. So for West for West Ham to play a team that had nothing to, but pride to play for in the final game when West Ham were willing to kill and had Tevez in the team, it, it, it actually Man United away is in those circumstances is an easier match, and well the result proves it yeah. than than Wigan at home because Wigan are fighting as hard as you. So uh, I I do think it's I, I mean look. Warnock is never is is incapable of not overplaying any hand. He's never he's never he's never been fair minded in an argument in his life. So that's I think there is an there might have been an element of hand overplaying. But no, I I think it was uh, it was a, 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 a the integrity of the league. Was uh, was spoiled by the way that season ended, even though it was fantastic theatre. I mean, I, I, I'll never forget it. it. It it was a fantastic climax to the season, but it weren't right. Yeah, um, Newcastle United. I, I I sent you the notes for this, and I'm, I was looking at. It, I think no, that's actually wrong because I thought that I'd, I'd put Alan Shearer in a year too late and. But I think uh, we've got to talk about Alan Shearer. He actually retired at the start of this season, so at the back end of last season where he'd become yeah. the, the club record scorer at Newcastle before he retired. Yeah. We've got to talk about him. In the same way that we we skipped an episode before talking about Letitia's retirement, how can you not talk about Alan Shearer who sort of dropped off yeah. the radar since he moved to Newcastle to become mm-hmm. um, the world record signing at the time? And 
he um, he's dodged those moves to United. He always insists that he um, didn't, you know, he never regretted it. And when you look at the fact that in these last season, in those last few games, he becomes the club record goal scorer as well. Um, mm-hmm. In the same way that we celebrate Letizia for everything that he achieved with his own town club, mm. you've got to think that there's a nice romantic side of that. Yes, I do. I think uh, I've nothing but respect for for Shearer and the way he's conducted himself, um, uh, not least in going to to Newcastle when when he could have you know had a, a virtual guarantee of of a, a trophy laden cabinet had he gone to Manchester United or to any of the other clubs who wanted him yeah and everybody would want him because he for, for me he's up there with Thierry Henry Ryan Giggs um uh and all the other all-time greats of the Premier League, I mean, of, of the, the utter giants, the Hall of Fame candidates. Um, uh, the, the Premier League was actually going to launch its Hall of Fame uh, and, until the lockdown uh, came this this summer, but this spring. But the Shearer is is the, is. If you think of the Hall of Fame and you see a bust or a statue of Shearer in it. Um, yeah, it can't be any anything otherwise. You can look at statistics, but you can also look at uh, the sort of bristling pride that he had in playing for Newcastle United, or indeed Blackburn, or indeed anybody that employed him. Uh, a real winner by nature, um, and and the fact that 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 he hasn't got as many medals as you know lesser players doesn't doesn't really bother me. I, also, when you when you look at um, uh, the the fact the fact that he could take the step up any time he liked Euro '96 leading goal scorer um, when you know this, he went to Euro '96 on a 14 game uh, run without a goal yeah. for England which yeah. is extraordinary absolutely extraordinary um, but there was never any doubt in my mind that he'd be the leading goal scorer in the tournament and he was and what's more he had that swagger that sort of mean gunslinger look I, 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 I'm a huge huge fan of uh, Alan Shearer's and I think he's one of the even if you had only five people in a Hall of Fame one would have to be Alan Shearer yeah and if you want um, a definition of Alan Shearer there's nothing better than complete striker he fits the bill um, he yes. had a, a, absolutely everything to his game um, he couldn't what could quite he not do he, he even was a provider early in his, in his career at Southampton. Mm. Uh, I remember interviewing him the first time I interviewed him. I said, uh, you know, when I was doing my research for this interview, I noticed that when you were a young player, um, you, you didn't actually score that many goals, even though he came, you, you, every, as every schoolboy knows, uh, he scored a, a hat-trick on his debut against Arsenal. But... He didn't actually score that many goals. It was sort of like one in six or one in eight striker. And he just looked at me and narrowed his eyes the way he does and growled. Yeah, but Wallace and Letizia scored plenty. In other words, he was feeding them and he could do that. He could be, he could be, uh, he could lay on goals as well as finish them. Uh, As you say, complete centre forward. Obviously the, um, the far post was his territory, um, but uh, you know, he, he could do anything, and he was he was no mug technically. So he 
he, he probably didn't have killing pace, but didn't have the pace of, say, Drogba. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's as close to the complete centre-forward as you'll get. And um, one thing that Newcastle were lacking in his absence was yeah. that um, was relentless consistency, basically. Well, I mean, yeah. not only the complete centre-forward, but the fact that he was so consistent because they replaced him with yeah. Obafemi Martins, who... Uh, Tricky mm-hmm. Nigerian centre forward and, and very good, yeah. but no any of the goal. He played for played for Inter, but he was never. You know how do you replace Shearer? You know you can't go and can't buy DDA Drogba. You know that would have cost. I don't know. You'd have had to sell the Dime Bridge. Um, uh, so yeah, the um, margins did okay actually. Um, I'm just looking at the Sky Sports yearbook. The, the Rothman's as was, the Bible as it always will be. Um, Martin's got 11 out of Newcastle's 38 in the league, uh, which is not too bad. Kieran Dyer next with five, Shola and Miobi three, Milner three. Remember he scored an absolute belter, I think it was against Villa. Um, so it wasn't a bad Newcastle team, finished just below mid-table. Um, but uh, probably their best tournament... Uh, was the UEFA Cup, um, where they got through the group and uh, finally went out to AZ Alkmaar. Yeah, they but, um, yeah, enjoyed a decent run in the in the UEFA Cup. Oh, and also got to the Carling Cup quarterfinals, losing to Chelsea. So it wasn't wasn't a disastrous season um, under the management of of uh, well they they at the end of the season they came under the management of Sam Allardyce. Uh, because uh, Glenn Roder lost his job. One one final centre forward problem for Newcastle. If they weren't thinking they were going to replace the goals with Martins, they probably mm. thought they were going to do that with Michael Owen. And mm. he he had a decent start in his first season, scored seven in eleven, but then injury um, sort of caught with him. He only plays three times in this campaign. Um, after because there was there was a big thing of the World Cup, wasn't he? He was taken to the World Cup when he wasn't fit, and then he breaks down yeah. in a game against Sweden, and that's just yeah. him out for this season. Um, Crazy. He always felt, Paddy, that yeah. he was unfairly tagged with this injury um, reputation, but it, yeah. it's it's a bit difficult for him to get away from in 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 a season he like this. He was the victim. He yeah. was the victim of the injury of of injury rather than the. Um, it's not as if he, um, you know, had a bad lifestyle or anything like that. Um, it, 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 you know, there was he just had dodgy hamstrings, and that's it. When and when you made your reputation on pace, I mean, it was a terrible signing by Newcastle. Absolutely mad, yeah, potty, um, and a, a, it was a damn stupid decision to take him to the World Cup as well. So. You know, people people always looked at at at, at Michael Owen and and looked at him in terms of you know recreating his his glorious youth and middle age. Um, but uh, you know, even at Manchester, you know, even when he went to Manchester United, uh, he wasn't. Uh, it was quite obvious that he wasn't he wasn't the player he used to be. But that's not his fault. I think, as as I say, I think he's the victim of bad luck rather than the creator of it. Yeah, um, interesting that you talk about Luke because I want to talk about Reading. Um, they come up with Steve Coppel. Um, Steve Coppel, yeah. a, a bit of a mixed managerial uh, past. You could say that whenever he had a long spell anywhere, like like mm-hmm. he did at Palace, 
he felt he would be successful because he was so intelligent yes. and he got his teams playing good yep. football. That's right. um, and I mentioned luck, and luck is not a word that, you, first of all, you wouldn't choose to use that with anyone as pragmatic as Steve Koppel because he never left anything to chance. And Correct. the reason why I use it with Reading is because if you were a team who felt that you were a little bit out of luck, Reading were the team that could easily get a victory over you. They were immensely professional when they came up from the uh, from the, the lower league year. Um, they were a very good example of how a club, uh, you know, how you'd want your club uh, to be run. Yeah. They had a wonderful patron uh, in John Medeski. Um, a, a really, a really excellent example of the kind of local man who all he wants to do is to create a um it was a, a bit of a jack walker john medeski mm-hmm. yep. you know he wanted you know his local club he wasn't as keen on football as as jack walker but he was passionate about reading about it being uh his town and the, and 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 it should have something to be proud of in its football team and it certainly did because they built that that medeski stadium uh, which was was and is uh, a, a really good, uh, really good ground, um, and they got they built a they, they got a good manager who built a, a decent a decent team. And I mean, in this season, they finished eighth, yeah. eighth. They finished five places above Newcastle. <coughs> Excuse me, who have the third biggest crowds in the league? Um, there, I, I mentioned briefly the front partnership. Um, who contributed largely to, to a, a tidy, respectable total of 52 goals. Kevin Doyle, do you remember Kevin Doyle, Irish striker, yep. good, good finisher, good footballer, actually. Uh, he, got, uh, he got double figures. Leroy Lita was up uh, only seven in the league, but 14 in all competitions, and uh, enjoyed the, the experience having been released by Chelsea when he was a kid. Enjoyed the experience of, of scoring in a two-all draw at Stamford Bridge. So, it's, you know, they, they were capable of getting good results. They beat it, battered West Ham 6-0, absolutely battered them. And a feature of that game uh, was the... Uh, and you've, you completely forget it. Do you remember Nicky Shorey? Yeah. Now, what a player he looked as if he was going to be. He... Um, uh, he's, he's still he's still at Reading, by the way. He works on the youth coaching uh, side, the academy. Um, but Nicky Shorey was uh, he a little, little bit reminiscent of Leighton Baines or Kenny Sansom, you know, a, a footballing left back with a with a wand of a of a of a left foot and magnificent uh, set piece uh, delivery. I mean, set piece delivery as good as Baines or. Uh, Ward Prowse, you know, or any other, or, or maybe not Beckham, but not far off. Um, really, really good player and ended up playing twice for England. Um, got a, um, a move shortly after that to Aston Villa and disappeared, basically. He ended up going down the divisions. And uh, I, I, I just don't know what, what happened because he was definitely, you know, Heading for the very top, you know, he was, he would have ended up at a Champions League side if he'd maintained his progress. Uh, other players in in that team uh, that you might remember, I thought uh, Steve Sidwell 
in midfield, had a tremendous season. I think he started at Chelsea as well. Uh, very, very good. Um, very good season, Steve Sidwell. Um, and, of course, the front two, Doyle and Lita. Yeah, uh, they, they, they brought a lot. Having uh, having come up from the championship, yeah, and like you said at the Majeska, eleven wins. That's yeah. you know they were very good at, at home. Um, one of those because it was a, a unique little stadium, they could use the yeah. character of it to their advantage, um, mm-hmm. and they certainly did. Um, a few one nils. They yeah, they were good defensively as well. We mentioned Birmingham in the previous episode and the fact that they. They had a big turnover of players, and that you know there were a lot of players playing ten or eleven games. But Coppel, as you would expect, very pragmatic with his his use of players. Here. You've got the goalkeeper Anna Hanneman, sorry, Hanneman, playing yeah. thirty eight games. Shore is thirty seven. Yeah. Steve Sidwell 30, 35. Um, James Harper, very good midfielder. He plays at every league yes. game. Inge Marson, very good defender. Thirty eight games. Yeah. So they've um, they have got uh, Sonko. How many did Sonko play at the back? He, he had uh, 23, he 23 big, games. So he's big played strong man. Yeah. yeah. He's played most of Graham, the season. Graham Murty, I think, which is the right back most of the time. And um, uh, Korean guys, so Seol, Seol. Yeah, so they've um, got a very good team and they're going to be around for a little while as well. Steve Koppel yeah. probably won't be around for too much longer because Koppel is like a like the littlest hobo, isn't he? <laughs> he goes off somewhere yeah. else um, <laughs> as soon as um, the whistle blows or something. So you've got um, a yeah. couple of other teams who, who had good seasons who we'll be talking about yeah. in further um, episodes of Portsmouth and Aston Villa because you've got Portsmouth, they're on an upper trajectory now. They've got Harry Redknapp back and greater times after that relegation struggle of the previous season. Um, mm. Obviously, the next episode is one we'll really be talking about then. Aston Villa, mm. they've hired Martin O'Neill um, under the yeah. new owner, Randy Lerner. Um, young yeah. players like... The, possibly the, the work done by David O'Leary is bearing fruit for O'Neill because you've got Barry Ridgewell. Um, they're supplemented with these players like Ashley Young. Gabby Ogbonlaho is obviously a, a Villa youth product. Yeah. What what a player they bring in. Stylian Petrov, Paddy. Yeah, obviously, connoisseur yeah. of Scottish football. And yeah. you see someone playing like that for Celtic and you think, oh, just give him a go. Someone yeah. give him a go. And he was so good in England as well, wasn't he? Yes, he was uh, Stan, Stan, they call him yeah. Stan Petrov. And, and uh, he, he, yes, he, he was excellent. I mean, O'Neill. Um, had been had he'd been at Celtic, hadn't he? Yeah, with him at Celtic. So that was a that was an easy one. He knew he'd be a success. Um, yeah, he he, he certainly uh, he certainly fitted in well into that that Villa side. Um, I also like a few more other players I'd like to mention in that team very briefly. I liked the goalkeeper Thomas Sorensen. I thought he was excellent. Yeah. Um, Ashley Young, you mentioned, who they bought from Watford. Yeah. Uh, um, Petrov. And uh, Agbon Lahore was starting to uh, use his pace and his directness up front. He was, he was starting to be a real, a real threat. Um, and, and Villa finished a respectable 11th. But even that uh, was not as remarkable. We've, we mentioned uh, uh, that uh, Sam Allardyce had moved... At the end of this was you moved at the end of this season to uh, Newcastle. The reason he got that job was because of his tremendous feats with Bolton. They were seventh in their last season under Allardyce. Uh, he was replaced by Sammy Lee, his assistant, I think. Um, 
Uh, I just run through their team. It's, oh, I mean, it's fantastic. Jussi Jaskalainen, yep. the local boy, the uh, token local boy, Nicky Hunter right back. Ivan Campo, Champions League winner, uh, centre-back with Mete. Uh, Ricardo Gardner, uh, left-back. Uh, Faye, do you remember Faye, the African uh, midfield player? Yeah. Gary Speed, absolute top man there. Kevin Nolan, such a danger playing between the lines. And then up front, uh, Anelka and Juve, um flanking Kevin Davis. So it's, um, you know, some big names there. He left them with a, a, a big team and um, handed out a big wage bill. But um, that was uh, a fitting seventh place, <coughs> excuse me, fitting tribute to the Allardyce heroes. But even they... Bolton didn't do as well as Everton. Back up, Moyes had been had finished. Uh, what was it? Fifth in the fourth, fourth was it? Two years earlier, yeah. <clears throat> um, and then a dip after the disappointment of the Champions League qualifying round knockout by Villarreal in this season, two thousand and six seven. Back up to sixth, uh, a very respectable fifty two goals. Um, uh, and, and, and David Moyes' reputation once again soaring um, just go through their team uh, Tim Howard and still in goal a Yobo and another very good signing one of the signings people forget how good Moyes was at, at, at making signings Jolion Lescott yeah. at centre back or occasional left back um, he the Everton must have made a profit of nearly twenty million on him when he went to City. Uh, Julian Lescott was a tremendous signing. Um, Osman, uh, Leon Osman, coming through the ranks. Arteta, who we mentioned last uh, week, a terrific signing from Rangers uh, in midfield. A beautiful footballer, lovely, delicate passer. Lee Carsley, not exactly the same in terms of style as Arteta, but a hell of a worker. Alongside him, uh, Tim Cahill, uh, Simon Davis, who uh, was with United, uh, began his career at United, I think. He was in that uh, in that squad as well. Uh, and up front, uh, really, although James Beatty had been brought there, the real star was Andy Johnson. Yeah. Uh, what a hard-working player. F- tremendous worker, Andy Johnson. Gave good value everywhere he, he played, actually, in my opinion. Um and then you mentioned uh, Portsmouth, they finished ninth. They also had a good season. Um, so although the, the top five was maybe a little bit predictable, uh, six to six to ten were, were very interesting. And, um, and, and certainly that Pompey team was, had a few stars in it. Saul Campbell, having left Arsenal. Uh, David James, as we mentioned earlier, got in the team of the year. Uh, Matty Taylor... What a season. I mean, he scored two of the best goals of the season, yep. um, including one long-range volley that, whoa, that came down from the skies and went in the net. I can't remember who it was against, Glenn Johnson, one or two who had failed el- elsewhere. Um, and uh, Pedro Mendes was in that. Um, Nico Cranchar was around. Uh, and uh, with his occasional heroics, Canu. Yeah, great side for Portsmouth, and obviously a team that, that, mm-hmm. that again they were building towards something. 
Middles- oh, st- oh, sorry, I've... I forgot Dejan Stefanovic at, at centre back. Yeah, yeah he, he was um, having a great swan song to his career as well. Um, Middlesbrough made the change of um, obviously Stephen McLaren had gone to England and they replaced him with Gareth yeah. Southgate. A lot, a lot of fuss about this at the start because Southgate hadn't taken his badges. Um, it seems funny to think about now because he's England manager, but um, he was rushed into this position. But even so, with all that inexperience. Um, Southgate, obviously, such a level-headed, educated, well-spoken, well-thought kind of guy. Mm. You knew that he'd, mm. he'd take well to management, and he did. I mean, that's a steady start for for Middlesbrough. They finish in 12th, uh, mm. win 12 games. Uh, there's nothing... I mean, what you want for a team like Middlesbrough is basically what you provided, isn't it? You know, it, it mm. wasn't... Um, the, the the turnover of um, from manager to manager wasn't anything. I know they've been in the UEFA Cup final, um, but mm-hmm. but I think Middlesbrough that's probably about right for where they were. And when you mm-hmm. make such a big managerial change, you just don't want to get drawn into that relegation battle, really, do, do you? And they avoided mm-hmm. that. That's right. That they avoided that. They were they were you know sort of fairly solid mid table for most of the season. <clears throat> better second half to the season actually and one or two youngsters uh being you know Huito was beginning to appear in the team once or twice uh David Huito home homebred he was very uh, good wasn't he when, when he was a young kid Huito he looked very very oh, promising he looked, he, he, he looked a very very promising player um indeed and he was coming in Catamol who we mentioned last week uh, had established his uh, vigorous credentials in midfield, um, but the, uh, the the real strength, I suppose, uh, Julio Arca from Sunderland uh, had a decent, you know, lent something to the midfield as did George Boateng, uh, but uh, they had two good strikers, Yakubu and Viduka, um, and they got they're both well into double figures. So um, yeah, very. A steady first season, but uh, you know, I can remember Gareth Southgate, and he wasn't as happy in club management as he is now with England. I think he learned. I think he went through a tough learning process there, where he possibly had to go against his sunny nature a couple of times. You know, um, uh, so it was a, a season of of education, yeah, him, but a season that did the club no harm. Manchester City, Paddy, they're going to obviously they're going to be featuring with increasing prominence as we go on. But yes. good grief, I'm the second they not- are, Wayne. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me get my jabs in while I can. Then after New Year's yeah. Day, their results of this season are quite unbelievable. I can remember yeah. it at the time because United played them at the end of the season, and they, it was a crucial game. And we yeah. were it was it was either nil nil or United were winning one nil at the time, and City get a late penalty. And mm-hmm. it's their last home game of the season, and the talk is that they haven't scored in since New Year's Day. They haven't scored at home, and then Van der Sar saved the penalty in United win. Yeah. So yeah. that's typical City. I mean, they're finishing a respectable position in the league. They're never in any danger of going down because they're in, they're in thirty in mm-hmm. after thirty eight games. They're in fourteenth. So they they you know they they've done enough to sort of stave off trouble. Um, 
I guess through a fairly strong first half where they where they weren't um, where they, well I say twenty nine goals in the season which is ranks with the lowest in the division but um, they 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 got their goals in before before the the the, the second of January basically and but insipid yeah. insipid performance in that second half of the season at home I mean we that's probably as weak as it's been in the Premier League isn't it I mean yeah half a season without a yeah. goal is is quite remarkable. Yes, it is. I mean, they uh, uh, the leading goal scorer was Joey Barton with six, and one of those was a penalty. The leading striker was George Giorgio Samaras. Uh, Nico Samaras? What's, what was Samaras' name? Came down from Celtic anyway. I mean, he was, he was decent on his day, but only four goals, and one of them a penalty. Um, so it... Uh, uh, yeah, not 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 a vintage season. Um, they're done and distant at centre back, which was helpful. Um, ben Thatcher uh, rightly got well. He was banned and really thrown out. Uh, in in fact, Michael Richards played a bit. Um, it was an unexciting period in in the history of of Manchester City, I would say, and and it's quite surprising given the second. The form in the second half of the season, um, and particularly in streaks, um, it's surprising that they that they had a position of just below mid-table semi-respectability. Yeah, they um, seem more likely to get a red card than they did a goal in the second half of the season with, yeah. with players like that. Um, two teams who went down. Then you've got um, Charlton, who the, we mentioned Alan Kerbishley keeping them up and doing such a good job with them. And I mentioned Darren Bent. And I'm saying, oh, well, without Darren Bent, they're going to struggle. But as soon as yeah. Kerbishley goes, the entire direction of that outfit is gone. And they're, um, yeah. they're down. Um, Watford are down. Um, a, a little mention for Eddie Booth. It was a bit of a character, wasn't he? Um, very distinctive, very individual. He wasn't a, a cookie-cutter kind of guy. You knew that Boothroyd was yeah. talking, but um, nonetheless, they yeah. went down. He was, uh, yeah, he was, Boothroyd was um, very, very, very ambitious for himself. You know, he was, uh, is, uh, now working with the F- FA last time I heard, but yeah, um, worthy of mention, yeah. Um, it, it was, uh, it, but yeah, as you say, you know, Watford were always looked, uh, always looked on the way, on the way down. Yeah, um, Sunderland are a team who were coming up from the Championship. A little note for them before yes. we we round up the season. Um, they've hired. You've got this to look forward to. Yeah, they've hired Roy Keane yeah. early in the season, and wow, whoosh, they take off. Uh, in actual fact, they. Um, Roy Keane is uh, championship manager of the, the season and uh, Sunderland in top place. Uh, a really, you know, a terrific uh, finish to the season, particularly. Um, I think they only lost one, yeah, only lost one game after January the 1st. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, did, did, uh, did very, very well. And um, uh, Dwight York, his old uh, United teammate, uh, a very good signing. He was brought back from uh, uh, Australia. I think he'd been playing in Australia and uh, and came back and, and took part in the campaign. Playing the Roy Keane well, yeah, well, role as well, wasn't he? He was playing in holding midfield. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But uh, you know, he was an elder statesman, elder statesman by then. The um, the only thing we haven't, the only one, well, at least one club we haven't mentioned. Uh, funnily enough, all this talk about Reading and and Portsmouth and so on is that we haven't uh, said much about Arsenal and Liverpool. So uh, we just so a little mention for Arsenal in uh, because they're the, the one of the top four that we have sort of yeah. allowed to let slide, and I feel we might be guilty of that in future episodes because of the way that they've sort mm. of fallen into the sort yeah. of the the abyss, respective yeah. abyss uh, compared yeah. to what they used to. They, the one little run that they are, I mean, they're comfortably in the top four, Paddy, without a problem, but they. Um, the probably the most memorable achievement is getting to the Carling Cup belt. Was it Carling Cup at this point? It might have been. Yes, they, it was still the Carling Cup. They lost it to Chelsea, and it really, but you know, it was at this stage where people were beginning to sort of criticise Wenger for talking about fourth place and, and and with the opportunity to qualify for the Champions League as if it were a trophy, and he was sort of kind of ridiculed in some quarters for that. Uh, he was very proud of it. Uh, and what it did for the the finances, but uh, Thierry Henry was going. He only played sixteen games, uh, you know, because he was asked Arsenal, Barcelona bound, and he, he mentioned what Thierry Henry said about that period um, was that sometimes the players were passed. They were relying on so much on him that they were passing to him, and he didn't deserve it, you yeah. know, and he was living on status. Van Persie was very much the coming thing. He was, um, he, he was the future of, of, of Arsenal in as much as they had a glorious future. And uh, he'd had a very um, injury-scarred uh, start to his uh, career since coming from Holland. But, but he, he was certainly um, making a name for himself. Thomas Rosicki they had high hopes of. But he was he constantly injured. Uh, Alexander Hleb did okay. Um, Fabregas was really becoming a key player alongside uh, in, in this season Gilberto Silva. Um, and uh, Colotore was a, a fundament of the defence. The likes of Giroud and Senderos were trying to make careers, but really Galas was probably better. Clichy came in at left back. At, but you know, cliche, boue. That yes, decent players, good players, but not of the standard of you know the Invincibles, Lauren and you know Ashley Cole, people like that. Um, the, the you know the the old standards were no longer being maintained, and uh, and 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 Henri began to began to think of his next move. Yeah, you're three years on from the Invincibles now. We we spoke directly after that, and we have pretty much in all the episodes since mm-hmm. about how Chelsea's sort of bullying into the top two positions has come at their cost. Mm-hmm. And you can really start mm-hmm. to see it with this squad. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. At the mm-hmm. time, when you're looking at it at the time, and you're thinking, well, they're in the top three, you are looking at the positive traits, aren't you? And you're thinking, well, they've mm-hmm. got the potential. Wenger very much a, a manager that looks at the potential. He's not only looking at this season, he's saying this team for yeah. two or three years. The problem is with um, Arsenal this time is that if there was a team that were going to be put together for two or three years, after one of those years... 
a team like Chelsea are going to look to pull for one of the players, yeah. which is basically what happened for the next few years. Um, I, and you look at it and you think even the better players in this Arsenal side, um, particularly Omri as the elder statesman, now he's going to be leaving. You look at it and you start to... I mean, don't get me wrong, there's going to be some great moments for this, um, mm. individual moments in, and brilliant moments in terms of the way that they played the football. But mm. yeah, it's um, the composition of it doesn't look great. Um, the one yeah. little quote, yeah. uh, moment on this, because I'm looking at William yeah. Gallas, yeah. who has inherited Dennis Bergkamp's number 10 shirt. <laughs> yeah. And yes. Maybe it's a little bugbear of mine, and it's one thing we did. One, the one play we didn't mention of Chelsea's who come in was Khalid Boularouz, the centre back who comes in wearing number nine. The famous oh, Chelsea number nine and the famous Arsenal number yeah. ten are now occupied by yeah. centre halves. Is it just yeah. me, Paddy, or <laughs> am I right to have a grumble with that? Because I just think this has got to be a little bit of tradition in the game, hasn't it? And, and I think so. I, I really do think so. Um, no, I, I I don't like I don't like that sort of uh, use of numbers. Um, I, th- I think I think you know a, a five or a six should be in the back four somewhere, or maybe a six midfield. Maybe a five can be a midfield. Actually, now I'm thinking, um, but a nine or a ten should not be a centre back. You'd be better having a forty-four or fifty-five. Yeah. nine or ten. Yeah, uh, no, I, I don't. I, I agree with you. I'm a bit. Uh, I'm a bit like that as well. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, you know, we talked. I, I didn't like. Blue, I thought he was a bit of a, a bit of a like Pepe. You know, of Real Madrid, one of those players that you feel like throwing a a cabbage at. Or a, <laughs> if you have one, Andy, he's, 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 such, he's such a sort of like stage villain yeah um, but uh, yeah he was uh, he wasn't one of the the greatest signings of of Chelsea in the Abramovich era but we, we we started this episode let's talk about lovely things though yeah because we started this episode by talking about the season of great goals now I'm gonna what I'm, I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna read out the names of some of the scorers and the people who listen to this podcast are so knowledgeable that it will con the very name of the player will co- will help to conjure the uh, goal I, in many cases. David Bentley, right? Yeah, you can see the goal, can't you? Daniel Agger. Oh Look yeah! Oh my God! Oh, I forgot about did that ball? Fl- did that ball <laughs> fly? Uh, DDA Drogba, right? You can probably see a sort of compilation diving headers rockets volleys near post and, and, and extravagant celebrations now Peter Crouch bicycle kick oh, okay yeah, you yeah. see it now you can see it <laughs> can't you um, you <laughs> I'll give you a couple of others two guy can you see a left foot volley I bet oh, you can yep yep uh, Matt Taylor, well, we talked about his, his volley. So it, it, it really was the season. Oh, Chabi Alonso. Think long range. And think of poor old Steve Harper, Newcastle goalkeeper, slipping when he might have caught it, but it goes in from 70 yards and it was still a good goal. Ronaldo. Now, okay, he scored a lot of goals, but what I'm thinking of is the swerving free kick against it. Might have been Reading. 
where he hits the ball, you know, like so many great players, he, he does something that's a trademark. I'd never seen anybody hit a ball the way he hit that one. And it, 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 it stayed low, but it just, it went over the wall and it, it, it was, but there was nothing drifty about it. It was going like a rocket. Yeah. Do you remember he saw, it was like a toe stubbing uh, the way he hit it. And it became a, a Cristiano Ronaldo free kick. You know, a lot, probably few, a few players do them now, but I'd never seen it before. There was a Van Persie, I'll have to describe this one. Uh, it was a volley, sorry, it was Slab in an Arsenal game. He played a 1 2, then flipped it up to himself and volleyed. In other words, while he was still running, he took it up to, 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 to create the trajectory for a volley. Absolutely brilliant. But my favourite goal of the whole season was scored for Manchester United against Blackburn Rovers. I think it was at Old Trafford. And it was the double one-two. It, 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 it started, the move started in United's six-yard box and it ended on the edge of Blackburn's. It was against Blackburn, was it? Yeah. Do you remember the goal? Yeah. And Ronaldo came out of defence, gave it to Rooney, got it back, and they played the two one-twos. And in a matter of seconds, they were at the final, at the other end, and Rooney, instead of stroking it past the keeper, just dinks it over him. So it goes the deliciously slow trickle into the net. Oh! Yeah. I mean, when I think of that goal, it's... That's, for me, it beats any rocket or volley or anything like that. I mean, that's just two great players playing for fun. Yeah, Absolutely that, brilliant. It might have been a bolt against Bolton, that one, but I, I remember it. I, I beg your remember. pardon. It was, it, was against, it was against Bolton, you're quite right. And the goalkeeper would have been... Uh, yeah, Descalina. That's right. The 2-2, two, two, I mean, you mentioned the great goals. There's a, one of the most infamous running things on social media is the fact that the December 2006 goal of the, uh, goal of the month competition is the richest in terms of quality. I mean, in that month, mm. one I can't even believe you never mentioned it, but Paul Scholes as Villa uh, volley against Aston Villa that goes oh, in off the crossbar. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Incredible goal. Yeah, that was a way to Villa. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I, I beg your pardon. It was remiss of me. No, absolutely. There was, there's that many to get in. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> One's going to slug the net. What about Robin Van Persie? You mentioned him and then you went to Kleb because you yeah. corrected yourself. But Van Persie, what about his volley against Charlton? Can you remember That's the volley? The volley oh again. My. That was the one. I was sidetracked by the <laughs> Kleb one. But yeah, Van Persie's volley. But I mean, it, 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 uh, we, could, we could, I think John Arnarisa got out. Did he get the, the his famous goal that season? But it was the, it was yeah. Every goal seemed to be an absolute um, worldy. I believe they say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that just about wraps it up for this um, for this show. I mean, we're talking about goals of a generation, and and that they were raising the standard in in English football. But mm. good grief! I mean, English football was about to enjoy one of its um, greatest ever seasons really in the following campaign 